TNHoller.com is where you can find us at the TN Holler on Twitter and Facebook all across the state. Holler in the truth about our state thanks to your support, your small dollar monthly donations. Keep us going. We really do appreciate it. Can't thank you enough for all the support you've given us coming up on the end of our fourth year here. So thank you for that. Happy New Year to everybody. Today we have a special guest joining us. Before we get to Justin Pearson, I just want to thank Lisa Parker for the support that she's given us. If you're buying or selling a home in Middle Tennessee, do it through her. Abby Rubin if you need a lawyer use abby all right justin pearson is here joining us from memphis justin how are you doing today man justin i am doing great i'm so grateful to be on the show today lots of justin vibes going on in our state we got you we got me jones yeah all all kinds of justin action going on here in the state i want to get to your story barbara cooper passed away which opened up a special election for hd86 the seat in memphis justin is somebody that came on my radar back when the Bahalia pipeline fight was being fought as somebody who kind of helped lead that fight. I want to let people know that there's an amazing podcast called Broken Ground Podcast by the SELC, in-depth podcast that goes through a lot of what happened and it's really good. I'm not done with it yet. I do suggest checking it out. But since we have Justin here, Justin, before we talk about your campaign, I do want to get a refresher on that fight. Can you tell me a little bit about how you got involved with that fight and what that was like for you? First, thanks so much for allowing me to be here and for everybody uh, who's watching. I know you have a great following of people who are progressive-minded and also the ones who are telling the truth about what needs to happen and what is happening in Tennessee. Really important work, literally, for our democracy, let alone our, our, our civil society. Look, this fight started for me on October 17, 2020, and it is with uh, great deference and respect to Representative Barbara Cooper that this movement was really catalyzed. There's no replacing person who led in the way that Representative Barbara Cooper led, who made impact in the way that she did. The only thing you can do is try and continue that legacy. October 17, 2020, she called a meeting at T.O. Fuller State Park, which is where I learned about what was really going on with this pipeline project. They came with over quarter million dollars worth of cameras and TVs and all these things to come and explain to our community why it was so good to have a pipeline built through it. And then you had the folks that protect our aquifer who were saying they're a real risk if we built this pipeline, real risks to our drinking water. Then you had folks here at an organization called Caesar who said they're building this pipeline in the most seismically active area outside of California, and they're doing it in a place where there's not enough clay protecting what's happening at the top between our our drinking water. So if a spill happens, it's very likely going to poison the water of over a million people. So October 17th is our MCAP, Memphis Community Gets the Pipeline's birthday, because it was there that we started to organize and galvanize and really start to build power around this issue. It was the height of the pandemic, as you know. So you're talking about Zoom calls after Zoom calls after Zoom calls, organizing online to get our congressmen involved and other elected officials outside of just Representative Cooper and Senator Ackberry to say, like, this is something y'all need to pay attention to. This is what environmental racism and environmental injustice looks like. And if we allow them to build a 49-mile crude oil pipeline through Memphis and parts of Mississippi, just to send the oil to the Gulf, just to send it overseas, uh, we're going to have serious ramifications to the stealing of land through eminent domain, the destruction of water, and the poisoning of our air and our soil as well. Well, it's a fascinating story, just the way that it unfolded with, basically they tried to do this stuff in secret. They didn't want people to know what was going on. The phrase path of least resistance was used. And if you look at kind of the path that it was actually taken, this was not the shortest distance between two points. No. You know, this was going through black neighborhoods, 
majority minority neighborhoods and they called it the path of least resistance. What did the path of least resistance mean to you and the community? Folks really shouldn't listen to the SELC's Broken Ground podcast because in that first episode, you hear directly from the people in the community who were at the meeting who they call the path of least resistance, folks like Mr. Samuel Hardaway. Look, the community of Boxtown, created by formerly enslaved African-Americans after 1865. Community also known as the land of broken promises because it's in this very same place. The Tennessee Valley Authority built coal plant to power the region and somehow Boxtown didn't get power. So it got all the pollution, but didn't get power. Boxtown and Westwood being called the path of least resistance was also a story about history. Our community had been redlined, which means the government had determined that if you lived in this area, they were going to deplete the property values by covering it red and identification that it was black or it had people of color. It's the same place, property taxes being lower, uh, insured and enshrined that the schools wouldn't have enough money to be as successful and have the same amount of resources that they needed to have. And being called the path of least resistance is really a story about the disinvestment that is happening in our communities of color and in our poorer communities by society and government at large. The places that are being sacrificed, the places that are being called the path of least resistance are really a story about a society that has decided that there are certain people in our communities, in our care, who can be sacrificed to polluters and for profits and for politicians' egos, but can't be cared about in order to make sure they have clean air and clean water and clean soil in which to plant. This is a story, uh, it's a lot about Memphis, it's a lot about Shelby County, it's, it's a lot about Tennessee, it's a lot about our country and its history. And the work, right, of creating justice is to go to those very places that they deem to be paths of least resistance and awaken the people, put a microphone to those who have and say, listen to them. And what ended up happening, I've been really fortunate. I went to an elite liberal arts school, had some privilege and some connections that I was able to use, had a job that gave me some of the skills to be able to put that megaphone to the voices of people in the community who had been fighting, but had been ignored. And when they got the, 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 the microphone, the, their whisper turned into a very loud echo across Memphis and Shelby County and Tennessee, the country and the world, demanding justice, which looked like no oil in our soil and no oil in our water. And that work, maintaining justice, is what is our job. And it can't be the responsibility of those who are being consistently and continuously picked on, polluted, and sacrificed, disregarded, and rejected. It can't be the responsibility of the people who are facing that all by themselves to then save themselves. And that's what we're seeing, and that's what we're building in a movement of solidarity, as Heather McGee calls it, or the solidarity dividend, that you got to get white folk and black folk and people with education and people with a different form of education, people with really good quality jobs, people with less good quality jobs together to fight the interlocking injustices that we're up against. Now we got to be committed to this fight. We cannot give up. We cannot give in. We will not bow. We will not break. We will not bend because we believe that justice is our birthright and opportunity and equality and possibility is not something that needs to be far reaching and far off, but it's something that can be created right here in this fight for justice that you are a part of and that you are a part of and that you are a part of when we say no all in the soul. We're saying that we want justice and we want opportunity just like everybody else. When we say no all in the soul, we're saying no more racism. We're saying no more inequality. We're saying no more destruction of our planet. We're saying no more running over black people. No more running over poor people. No more running over white people. We are in this together. Because of this together, help me somebody. It's in this together that we will win. It's in this together across Mississippi and Memphis.
I mean, I could play the whole thing. I don't want to keep you, make you watch yourself that long, but people need to realize you're a powerful speaker. Oh, your dad was a preacher. Is that right? Yeah, my dad's a preacher. My mom is okay. a teacher. Got some of it through osmosis. Right. Powerful stuff. Grassroots organizing. Put you on the map in a lot of ways. The Root just recognized you as one of 2022's most influential Black Americans, which is a pretty amazing thing. You guys eventually got Timberlake and Al Gore and Rev Barber involved. How did that fight help set you up to take on the job that you're looking for now to represent District 86? Following good leadership, Representative Barbara Cooper, uh, and continuing that legacy is really what we are doing. I told you how important it was for her pipeline company talk to the community, but Justin, she didn't stop there. After we'd won, we had legislation that we needed to pass locally. We saw the state legislature try and undo that work, and she was advocating for them to not do that. Just a couple of months before she passed away, she and I were texting about Tennessee Valley Authority's toxic coal ash. A legislator person who was committed to the people. And she was 93 when she passed away, doing that level of work, that quality of work, that service of work to our folks in District 86. And my prayer, my hope is to be able to continue that work. But here's what the pipeline fight did. It did not create environmental racism. It revealed it. It didn't create the injustices economically and educationally and environmentally, but it revealed it in a way that we could not ignore. So you started to realize that the same places that are most polluted are also the same places that are most policed. They're also the same places that have been deprived the most of educational opportunities. And these are the same places where people's wages have been stagnant for over 40 years. There's something happening beyond projects that's dealing with systems. And so the movement against the pipeline continued to grow to a movement that is creating justice. See, because we defeated the pipeline and, and thank God for everybody who prayed and who marched and who sang and who wrote and who called in order for that to happen. But we didn't stop there. We then passed three laws in Memphis and Shelby County. And we didn't stop there. We stopped a terrible law they were trying to pass at the state legislature, three amendments that we introduced in a supermajority Republican legislature, realizing that some of these other communities that look a lot different than us, vote a lot different than us, actually have shared understanding about what we need to do together. So, so, so we didn't stop there. We realized that there are other fights with ethylene oxide, with the forever contract, with the Tennessee Valley Authority that we must fight because who is most harmed if these things continue to go forward without the community being informed? Who is most exploited are the people who live in District 86. They're the folks who live down in Millington and who live down in Westwood and Boxtown who have had less access to power. It's a really interesting district, right? It encompasses Southwest Memphis, where they were trying to build the pipeline, wealthier part of the community, downtown and Harbortown, and then North Fraser, Raleigh, and Millington. It's a very interesting district that really is a story about America. There are people of so much privilege, and then there are a lot of working class folks who are white and who are black, who are really struggling oftentimes to get by. The question is, how do we continue to build power together to change that? Our secret to success, if you will, if it is a secret, I hope that it is not, is that we were able to build power socioeconomically and racially in the movement and in that fight that I think is going to serve us very well in our work and in our effort to win in this election. That it isn't going to just be Black African-American folks who are voting and who elect us. It isn't just going to be wealthy white folks who are voting and who elect us. It's not just going to be working class white folks who are voting and who elect us. It's going to take all of those people in order for us to win, in order for us to adequately represent this community, this district, and this area. And so the fight against the pipeline, really the movement that, that started there, the energy that was created there is the same energy, the same power, the same beliefs, the same love that is guiding this campaign right now.
one of the things that the podcast talked about, you mentioned the aquifer. And so people know that's like the source of drinking water for Memphis. It's this huge source of water underground that was threatened by this pipeline that was going to be built right over, basically over the top of it. And somebody in the podcast says, there's only two kinds of pipelines, one that's leaking and one that will leak. That's right. And so that was going to threaten the drinking water for everybody, not just Boxtown, not just poor black folks. And so once that came clear, you started to have people in Memphis who were not in Boxtown, white people realized they were being threatened also. How important was that moment and realization in the fight against the pipeline? And how important is it for, do you think, for people to realize how connected we all are in any other fight that you're going to fight when you go up there? It was very important and instrumental in helping us to continue to build the movement. I will say there were some white folks who were there on October 17th. MCAP, Memphis Community Against Pollution Birthday. There were some white folks who were there like Jim Kafarik and Sarah Houston working for Caesar. Before uh, we really understood the consequences to the aquifer, you had Congressman Steve Cohen coming off of the sidelines, Councilman Dr. Jeff Warren coming off of the sidelines, but Mayor Lee Harris, who's African-American leader here. And so there were some people who understood the stealing of black folks' land was wrong and that we needed to find ways to resist this. The more we learned about the aquifer, uh, we were able to intertwine the stories and it became really important for our storytelling about what was at stake. And it's a really important story because it, it does show this interconnectedness that if you don't care about what is happening to the people in Boxtown, you too will suffer. If you don't care what's happening in Westwood and West Junction, you too will suffer. It's why in our county we have an F in air quality because 50% of the polluters who are in Shelby County are in Southwest Memphis, but the entire county has an F in air quality. It's a lesson that we are truly interconnected and it is recognizing that interconnectedness that helps to build power because it is people power that is gonna help us to win these victories for social justice. So in the pipeline fight, uh, we were able to connect the fight for black folks land with the fight to save our drinking water source. And we intertwined those, it interwove those so that you couldn't talk about the aquifer without talking about Mrs. Scotty Fitzgerald and Mr. Clyde Robinson. And you couldn't talk about Mr. Clyde Robinson and Miss Scotty Fitzgerald fight to really preserve over a million people's drinking water, two people, two black folks at 80 and at 70 who helped to save over a million people's drinking water. You can't talk about the water without them. And you can't talk about them without the water, our source of life. This isn't just the storytelling right? That was important for the movement. And as you're saying, and broken ground with Southern Environmental Law Center is an important strategy and is important education. We have to choose social locations with people who are more marginalized. And so when you have people in the Tennessee legislature who are trying to do things that negatively harm LGBTQIA folks or transgender children, you may not be transgender yourself. You may not be an LGBTQIA plus identifying person. But what you have to realize, if you go ahead and open that door just a little bit for injustice, if you crack it open just enough for injustice, then people who support white supremacy and people who support patriarchy and people who support misogyny and misogynoir, they get a crowbar, see, and they call them institutions. They push that little crack that you allowed because it wasn't your issue uh, open. And what we have to do, if we're really going to create the beloved community, as Dr. King might call it, is we got to get proactive about these issues. See, we shouldn't have to wait until we realize, oh, wait, this will directly impact me. Because the reality is whether you see it directly or indirectly impacting you is less the matter. Everything that happens to people who are being marginalized, everything that happens to people who are being oppressed impacts you because you are less free in a world where that oppression can thrive.
Absolutely. Very wise. You talked a little bit about what was happening at the state legislature, and I want to bring you to the people that you might be serving with. I've been following them pretty closely for four years. One of the laws you mentioned was the one at the state level. I think that was that Kevin Vaughn's law that you were talking That's about, right. prohibit political subdivisions from arising to stop, basically to stop city councils mm -hmm. from stopping pipelines in the future. Did that not pass in the yep. way that they wanted it to? I, I thought it did pass, but you're saying you had an amendment on there? That's right. So it did pass, but we were able to attach three amendments to it, delayed it being voted on for an entire month. We traveled back and forth to Nashville in order to stop that from going forward the way that the industry had written that the Chamber of Commerce and the American Petroleum Institute, I believe, were the folks who, who wrote that legislation that then was put forward by Kevin Vaughn and Senator Yeager. They are intentionally finding ways to reduce our democracy. And the consequences of that, and the reason we were able to get so many delays, and the reason we were able to get so many amendments, were because we had a lot of conservative support in stopping the initial bill from being drafted. Because the values are what's being circumvented here. The values uh, that many of us, particularly folks who are in the South, hold dear, the right to self-governance, right? These are values that used to be really aligned with conservatism, the right to protect your land, the right to protect your communities. If you were conservative, these were things you believed. But what we're seeing and what's happening at the legislature is you don't have people of principle. They're not principled people in the way that you or I would think about it as people of character, as people who have deeply held beliefs that are based on helping people's lives improve. That's not what's happening. What you have are a lot of people who are politicians who are mostly concerned about lining their own pockets or lining the pockets of industry, regardless of if they're in state or out of state. Tennessee doesn't have any crude oil. That crude oil was coming from Texas. That crude oil was coming from other parts of the country only to be shipped out of the country. Wouldn't even be for Americans. And yet you have these same folks who say, well, we need American energy independence. And you say to them, well, this oil wasn't even for America. Well, still, well, still, we need to put profits over people's lives. Well, still, we need to sacrifice lower income white folks and lower income black folks and indigenous folks and communities of color who don't have attorneys like the Southern Environmental Law Center, who don't have attorneys like Birchport. We need to sacrifice those type of people for the benefit of these corporate titans and these billionaires and multimillionaires who are literally profiting off of the death of people who because of the place where they live, are being sacrificed. That is what's happening. And the, the people who are in the legislature, they're just signing laws to try and keep it going. And so we've got to continue to build power while we're in the legislature to resist this by advocating and raising our voice. And as a person who would serve there, that would be one of the roles and responsibilities. In addition to continuing to build power with people with whom it may not look like we would agree. But we do have some principles that continue to connect us and continue to align us toward the cause of justice. Whether they were in East Tennessee or, or in West Tennessee, when it came down to the fight to stop that bill, it took all of us to get those amendments passed. Yeah. You know, there's two kinds of people up on that hill. One, I think, are the people that know what they're doing. And the other kind of just don't even really know what they're doing, but do it anyway. And uh, I'm never really sure which category some of these guys fall into. But <laughs> What ends up happening a lot seems like Memphis gets treated differently, to put it generously. Whenever Memphis decides something for itself, here comes the state to kind of overrule it. Right. Uh, what would be your attitude towards, put it frankly, white Republican supermajority mm -hmm. trying to override things like this pipeline, charters and vouchers, education issues, small government, police residency requirements? Mm -hmm. They tend to try to find a way to override Memphis and treat Memphis like it 
doesn't know what's good for itself. Mm-hmm. Can you speak to that dynamic and, and how you'd stand up to that if you got up there? Definitely. One of our great councilmen and friends, uh, Dr. Warren says, another person on the Hill said every every year they think about what it is in Memphis that they need to fix. So that's kind of the attitude. And it's, an, it's, right. it's, it's literally what you said. It's overseeing, but it's an overseer attitude, deeply rooted in racism and bigotry in our state and in the way that we function here. And, and then I want to talk first, though, about the resilience of the people in this community. If I have the privilege to serve in this role, I'll also represent part of Millington. And so for Millington and, and, and for Memphis, which would take up the majority of the district phrase that is always on our tongue, right? Like it's us versus everybody, right? Like it has always been us versus everybody. Uh, and, and that's the truth, right? Because we're, we're having to fight uh, for our beliefs. We're having to fight for our rights. We're having to fight for what we know to be our sense of self in a place and in a space of oppression. The overseer mentality of the white supermajority in the Tennessee legislature uh, cannot continue Uh, without us resisting vocally. Memphis is a beautiful place. It has a majority of black folks, but it has a lot of white folks. It has a lot of diversity. Memphis has some of the greatest businesses that you'll ever find. It's got the FedEx Forum, the Grizzlies. We got John Morant. It is an amazing place to live and to be. And it's an amazing community and an amazing culture to be a part of. We know that. We are going to have to continue to build the necessary power to resist this plantation ideology that is persisting at the state house. There are people who are there who say because Memphis is majority black, they need to rule over us, just as many of their ancestors did enslaving my ancestors in this very state, in this very region, in this very country. There's something sickening and wrong with people who are using their pen and their policies to continue to perpetuate poverty, policies that do harm, particularly to poor folks and to people who they believe are disempowered or who they believe are weaker than they are. And the consequence of that isn't just to Black folks. 17 plus rural hospitals have been closed in the state of Tennessee. This type of mentality is killing white people too. 60% of the people who are in poverty in the state of Tennessee are white. Those are people who with the right information, with less exploitation, become a part of a power block that can be transformative for the South, especially for this state. Yeah, you're singing our song there. I think information and learning the truth about what's going on in our state is really the only way that we can get things turned around around here. And so truth yellers like yourself, Justin Jones, Charlie and Oliver, who's up there, and you know some other people that are already up there, a really positive step. What does it mean to you to be a part of a new generation of leaders? What do you think young people bring to the table that could potentially revitalize the conversation? Yeah, I'm so happy to have witnessed Senator Oliver and Representative Jones winning their elections and infusing more hope into the democracy of Tennessee. You can't underestimate what hope can do and the fact that it is renewable. Some folks say hope isn't a strategy, but it is certainly a spirit that can keep you going and can continue to reaffirm your belief in what needs to happen and what is possible in our state and in places. The darkness seems to be able to overcome light. I'm just like really happy that they are there and hope to be able to join them in that work. Having younger leaders is important and having newer leaders, I'd say, is important because the status quo, it ain't working. Okay, there are people who've been in politics for decades. The status quo has remained the same. We need people who recognize 
there's something wrong with the status quo and the way that we've been trying to solve problems, the way we've been trying to fix problems, the way we've been behaving has only allowed for the perpetuation of injustice to occur. It cannot continue to do that unabated and unaddressed. In a supermajority Republican legislature as a Democrat, it may be harder to pass certain legislation, but it shouldn't be harder to open your mouth and to speak up and to speak with people who have something to say about what needs to change and what needs to happen in the state of Tennessee. And I believe that too is power that we need to harness and that is power that can grow this movement for justice rooted in love, rooted in compassion, rooted in building partnership and relationship with other people. Like I think that can continue to grow and ultimately will be the thing that is going to represent the state of Tennessee, if not yet. Completely agree. This is a crowded field, I think, or at least I know a lot of people have pulled petitions. I don't know how many have actually filed them. What sets you apart? Uh, I will be honored to serve as the next state representative for District 86. The great question that you have to ask anyone who is seeking to serve is, what have you done for me lately? You can look at what I have done. This past couple of days, I've given out in partnership with Vontina Durham, over 1,000 packs of water to families in our district and in our community. You can look at what we have done. We stopped two multi-billion dollar corporations from building a crude oil pipeline through our community. You can look at what we've done. We stopped the never-ending contract from the Tennessee Valley Authority from happening. We've used our resources to make sure kids had school supplies when they were heading back to school, all the way to ensuring just recently that people were taken care of and had food to eat during this winter storm. It's important that elected leaders are proximate. If you want to know if I am proximate, uh, you only have to look around the community. Many of the same doors that I'm knocking on asking for people's vote are the same ones I knocked on, telling them that there was a pipeline coming, didn't know how we were going to defeat it, but that we would. And there are not many people in this field who have been in the community and who have been as engaged in helping to resolve the issues that need to be resolved and that need to be addressed. And I'm going to be a thoughtful, God-guided, community-centered and driven uh, leader who remains accessible, who keeps in honesty and integrity, but who will always be present and serving the community. I'm not there to be served by the community, but serving the community. You're heading into a super minority and Democrats don't have a ton of power to pass things, but you will have a voice up there. And what you do with that is going to be a big part of it. And then also deciding, am I going to stand up and call things what they are, even if it means that I might fall out of favor with this Republican supermajority, you know, who will use whatever they can to silence you, whether that means deals behind closed doors or whatever they try to use. I think we need voices to stand up, say what needs to be said, like you're saying, put integrity first and not themselves. And so I hear you saying that that's who you are. I believe you and I, I look forward to watching whoever comes out of this race do what needs to be done for that district. So, Justin, thank you so much for joining us here. If there's anything you want to say at the end here to people, feel free. Yeah, I thank you so much for that. And I'll say two things. One, God guides me and I'm accountable to this community. I won't be able to go down Boxtown Road and not see Sarah Gladney and Easter. Uh, Knox, and I won't be able to go into Millington and see Deborah Siggy or in downtown see Leo and Mary and them not tell me if I'm not doing the necessary work that I ought because uh, we've got a mission, right? And it is to ensure that justice uh, rolls down like waters and righteousness like an ever flowing stream. And we can do that with our voice and with the power that we do have, not looking at the power that we don't legislatively. And so I appreciate you saying that. And we need support. We need folks to help us knock on doors. We need folks to donate, whether you're donating $5, $50, $100, whatever it is, please try and contribute to our campaign at votejustinj.com. We need your support uh, and to continue to follow us on this path 
And this is a movement, not just a campaign. So regardless of what happens on the 24th, we're going to continue to do this work uh, because we believe justice is possible. Justin, thank you so much for joining us here today. Good luck to you. We'll be watching. I appreciate you so much, Justin. Thanks for making the time and thanks everybody for listening. So that is Justin J. Pearson, one of the leading voices against the Bahalia pipeline, helped lead a fight that was against long odds. They won. They beat back a really ugly pipeline that would have threatened the water source for the entire city of Memphis. You know, there was a lot of shenanigans going on. They were trying to forcefully take people's land to make this pipeline go through in a way that was so obviously not the straightest line (laughs) between two points, but was instead going through the most vulnerable backyards and in a way that was so representative of environmental racism, which is a very real word and a real thing. And then even after that, you saw Kevin Vaughn push a bill that essentially would have made it impossible to win that fight next time. So, you know, when they lose these fights, they tend to go back and figure out, okay, how do we lose? How do we stop that from happening again? Highly recommend you listen to this pipeline podcast by the Southern Environmental Law Center. It is really well done. It's six or seven parts, and Justin is featured very prominently in the podcast. Here's the announcement that they won. Southern Environmental Law Center has Justin right there front and center. And then the quote is, pulling the plug on the Bahalia pipeline represents an incredible victory, but it's shown the city and the whole country how vulnerable the drinking water is and how much Southwest Memphis has already endured in terms of environmental justices. Environmental injustice is racism. He would be facing a lot of that if he got up there to join the people who are already up there, which including you know a lot of the Memphis caucus, but also young voices like Justin Jones and Charlene Oliver, who are people, as you know, we have covered a lot and lifted up their voices. And I just think it's really important to have voices up there yelling the truth. I can't stress that enough. They're going to face efforts to silence them from all angles. We need people who are going to understand that their role is to yell the truth. First and foremost, that is the job, in my opinion, is to be that messenger. And when you get in these roles and get in these seats, you suddenly have a much bigger megaphone on the house floor. You are in these committees in front of news cameras, yelling the truth, especially in a super minority is the most important thing. Any bill that this Republican supermajority is going to let you pass, chances are it's not the best version of that thing. So introduce the best versions. Know they are going to try to cut the teeth out of them. As you push those bills, Tell people what is going on in our state. Justin very clearly already knows a lot of it. He knows a lot of it better than I do. A lot of people are poor in our state, black and white. A lot of people are sick in our state, black and white. We are at the bottom in per-pupil spending, at the bottom in infant maternal mortality, at the bottom in rural hospital closures per capita, number one in the most black people who have been disenfranchised because mass incarceration is voter suppression. And these are the things that we need to tell people over and over and over again. It can't just be one time. It has to be every day at the top of our lungs. It's why we started the holler. And it's why I'm excited to see people who seem to know that innately running for office and now even winning. And over time, that is how we get where we're trying to go by putting voices in these seats that are going to do that. Not that are going to go and make backroom deals to pass a little thing here or there. No. It's by yelling the truth about what's going on in our state. And so I appreciate you following what we're doing here. Support the voices like that, whoever they are. Very much hope that whoever you support for that seat, you make sure it's somebody who will yell the truth. See you next time.
Thanos.